you went from being mm-hmm. like a working comic, which is hard, mm-hmm. to being like a star, like Hilarious. a comedy star where people like probably stop you in the street and go, oh my God, I love you and on Weekend Update and all this stuff. So it's like, that is, what you're experiencing is not normal at all. You know, there is, I think I'm on the show in an interesting period of time where, like, there's teenagers on TikTok who, like, eat dog food that are, like, 20,000 times more famous than me. That is the voice of the great Sarah Sherman. You may know her from Saturday Night Live. This is uh, Mike Birbiglia talking. Welcome back to a new episode of Working It Out. I, uh, I'm so excited for today. Uh, Sarah Sherman is one of the funniest darn people. Many of the guests on the show are people I've known in the past, who I've known for many years. This is someone I've been watching on SNL, I think is a riot. She has these segments with Colin Jost on Weekend Update that make me laugh so hard. Today, she comes on, she tells me what it's like to be a new person on SNL, which I think a lot of us have thought about. Uh, We crowdsourced some questions on Twitter. People had questions for her on Twitter. We talk about dreams. We talk about uh, so many topics. Performance, you know, experimental performance. She does, like, a very, very unique thing. As a matter of fact, you can see her. If you're in London, you can see her at the Soho Theater, which is one of my favorite theaters in the world. I did my girlfriend's boyfriend there many years ago. You can also see her on tour in Los Angeles, which is where I am now, as well as in San Francisco in September. Um, she's a really electric performer. I couldn't recommend seeing her in person more highly. Um, if you want to see me in Los Angeles, this is my final week. I'm doing eight more performances at the Mark Taper Forum with the full set design and lighting design. It has been so cool. And then I'll be uh, doing the, <laughs> without the set and the lights, but I'll be doing the show uh, in September and October in November in Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Toronto, Atlanta, Cincinnati, Columbus, Detroit, Nashville, Mesa, Salt Lake City. Tickets are going fast. And then there's going to be a New York City announcement soon. Stay tuned. The best way to know about that is on burbigs.com. Sign up for the email list. Enjoy my conversation with the great Sarah Sherman. You and I were at the comedy cell the other night, and I'm losing it watching you in the back of the room because I was going after you. God, somebody's got to be losing it. Losing it. Like, I would say it was one of the more inspirational, like, comedy performances I've seen, like, in years. Oh, my God. Because you're so, and it's similar to what you do on SNL and Weekend Update, you seemingly so don't care <laughs> It's, how it goes. And then it has this sort of Andy Kaufman mm-hmm. quality where it's like, oh my God, it's gonna go down in flames and <laughs> then it doesn't. It's the opposite. It's so funny because I care so much to the point, like I will die early. Like I will, <laughs> <laughs> I will have heart problems, something will. I care so much to the point of like, even that set you saw at the cellar last night, like I... Still, I'm kind of nervous about trying new stuff there because I want to do so well. Oh, my gosh. So I'm whipping out old – I'm dusting off the oldest material you've ever seen out there. Really? And it's like it doesn't feel very – you know, I feel a little bit like a coward there where I'm like afraid to push my – I mean, that's fine. Yeah. That stuff is like old, so I know it works, okay. even though it's insane. Yeah. Well, like you, for example, like you have a bit where you like keep doing like saying New York, like mm-hmm. I'm from New York, like in a, like a New York accent mm-hmm. over and over and over again mm-hmm. to the point where it's not funny and then it's uh-huh. funny again uh-huh. and then it's not funny again and then it's funny again in, in sort of like Andy Kaufman, like David Letterman tradition. Uh-huh. When I'm watching, I'm like, does, does she know that she's going to get him back? You, it's That joke in particular is so old that I've, like, gone back in. I'm, I've revisited it to do, like, a, basically kind of, like, autopsy on it. Or I'm, like, opening it back up again to see how far I can push it in different directions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, when you know a bit, like, inside and out for years, you know it works – 
And then when you get back into it and like open it up and mess around in the guts of it to yeah. see like maybe there's a different kind of angle to put on it. Yeah. So with that bit, I've tried my new experiment with it is seeing how long I can stretch the yeah. absurdity of it. <laughs> and I haven't been timing myself, but I I am wondering if I. I'm saying the same thing over and over again for at least like two minutes or something like that. Yeah. It seems really long. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious. I'm going to play a clip of you oh, on no. Weekend Update. Oh, no. No, I don't have to watch it. <laughs> no. Okay. Hi, Colin. Hey, Sarah. So how's your time at the show been so far? What's not to love? Laughing, comedy, New York City. But I gonna lie, dude. I've got some feedback. You got feedback already? <laughs> yeah. And I got a lot of questions about the show. First off, why is it live? Well, the name of the show is Saturday Night Live. Don't you think that's a little scary, Colin? I could say something right now that could ruin my life and yours. <laughs> Please don't. I kind of want to. I'm crazy. <laughs> don't, though. Anything could happen. I could have a nip slip right now. Sarah, you're buttoned up to your neck. <laughs> You don't know where my nipples are. Well, okay, I feel like I know where most people's nipples are. Huh, do you? This just in, <laughs> local pervert Colin Jost claims he's seen most people's nipples. Now back to you. What hooked me on your comedy on SNL is like, I feel like that show, I love that show. People know how much of a fan of the show I am. It's hard to have your own voice on that show. The show really has mm -hmm. a voice. Mm -hmm. Like, it's very topical. It's very, you know, there's like a certain type of tone that that show always has. Mm -hmm. And of course, the different cast members give it a different personality. But you're like so you mm -hmm. with like Colin. <laughs> like you like bully Colin, basically. Yeah. You like torment him. Yeah. And it's like how it's like how do you get away with that? How do you have the boldness to even like bring that up or pitch that? You know like it's the only re I think really the reason the bit works is because he's laughing really well <laughs> the whole time. Like he is sitting there and who I I mean I think you know I don't want to toot my own horn but I I actually I do think it is genuine laughter. That he, oh yeah, <laughs> seems know, like it. Yeah, but he's doing a really good job of being like, I'm okay with this. I like this. Um, but you, I could tell like when I got there, like he has a good sense of humor. He, yeah, he knows what he looks like. He wrote the book Punchable Face. Right. So like roasting him is like so. It's so easy. It's almost like too easy. You know what I mean? Cause I, it's kind of like it feels like to me a cheap trick a little bit. Where I like got on the show and I was like. You know, I'll just make fun of the guy. Oh, that's hilarious. But he, I mean, I owe that bit doing well to him because I joined the show and I was kind of having trouble figuring out how to get stuff on the show because it's, it's, I'm a stand up. Yeah. And I've never written like in an ensemble before or like cooperatively with people before. Yeah. I, I write all those update bits with the Please Don't Destroy Boys and yeah. Celeste, my friend Celeste, who writes on the show. And it's like the it's like the best experience writing with people. Oh, like yeah. they are giving me jokes that I say that make me look funny. Do you know what I mean? Like I love Celeste. Like I love Celeste. I love the Please Don't Destroy boys, as you refer to them. They're boys. Do they call themselves boys? No, but I definitely do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then I will too. Yeah. The please don't destroy boys. I think I'm like three times their age at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and so like when I was like, I want to do this bit where I mercil mercilessly torment Colin. <laughs> I mean, there's like a, a Google Doc sitting somewhere with like 800 oh like my God. jokes about him. It's. I think the reason I enjoy that so much, and I know Colin, I love Colin. He continues to defy my expectations of him. Like... His book is so good. Like, Punchable Face is so good. And I, I so thought, like, that won't be good because he hasn't had it hard. He's a handsome, he's a handsome, funny man. <laughs> and then it's like, it. no, it's great. It's so fun to make fun of someone who's handsome. I know. It's, it's so satisfying <laughs> for me to watch it as a viewer because I'm like, yeah, 
take him down. All of the jokes are also like really, we've pushed it. Like the last installment of the weekend update, the jokes are basically like, like all of them are, we're, I'm literally saying like you're a pedophile who keeps interns <laughs> in cages. Those are the jokes. And he's never once been like, that's too far. <laughs> you literally, one of the ones that I love so much is that you do a tour of the studio the fake tour of the studio and you go into his dressing room and you go to his mirror and it's fake daily affirmations that you put on. You are funny. Like you are intelligent. If you pause it on that, like if you screenshot whatever that moment in the studio, yeah, you can see it's all kind of rejected jokes that we had from the bit. Like Martin Hurley, wrote a joke that was like, you will be in a Marvel movie. Oh my and God. that's on a post-it. <laughs> Oh, and then it says something like dinner with Giuliani later. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, what's your, what was your most like surprising day working at SNL? You've been there for a year. Um, You've like exploded on the show. No one explodes in the first year on the show. It like never happens. Even like, I remember in the 90s, I was an intern on Conan. Will Ferrell didn't even explode in his first year. He was like, he was good. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, oh, he's very good. But you're, like, exploding. You have your own segments. I think it's because literally, like, the writer, the writers are so good that are helping me. Like, like it, it, that's, like, the – I think I was telling you this the other night. It's, like, the most liberating feeling in the world to work with other people. Like, after, yes. like, eight years of only – like, stand-up is, like – you're you're writing your own stuff, which and you're all by yourself, which means you put all of the pressure on yourself. Yeah, and it's like you're everything. You're the writer, you're director, you're the performer. Yeah, and so you're the only person to blame if it goes poorly. Yeah. and then it's not like you're self congratulatory when it does well. It's just like you. It's another day of surviving, basically. Right, right. But like when you're working with other people, it's like. You know, when things go well, you're like, you feel proud of this other person. You know what I mean? It's like, well, it's like or, Ted Lasso, you won the game. It's like Ted Lasso, we won the game. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and I think even if things go wrong when you're writing with someone else, it's not like there's no blame. It's like, you, I don't know. It's just so, I've never, I've never, well, you go down other, together. Yes. I mean, that's what, that's the joy of, because, you know, Don't Think Twice came out of like, I did college improv. I wasn't like, yeah. didn't do it a lot in my 20s, but like I did college improv and those were my best friends. Mm-hmm. And it was like, if you kill, you kill together. If you bomb, you bomb together. It's totally. so fun. It's so fun. And you feel like supported, which in like stand up, even though obviously there's a community, it's like, obviously you're all alone. And if and I didn't realize how bad stand up feels until <laughs> I've done something that isn't stand up. Like no, I'm you're never, absolutely right. Yeah. Because now now that I know what it's like to like have work with people who care, it's like when you're doing stand-up, you don't work, the only person you work with is someone who hates you, which is yourself. Oh, my God. That's so funny. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I'm working with my friends. Like the show I, – I, so I owe like literally any whatever small amount of success I've had getting stuff on the show or whatever to like, you know, all the writers like – this my friend Dan Bulla, who I wrote that meatballs. Oh I wrote God, that the meatball, meatball sketch, sketch is amazing. Well, so Dan, you know, we're like, you know, we're working on the show. Everybody's writing weird stuff. He calls me one day and he was like, "I have this like idea for a sketch where you're like <laughs> covered in meatballs." And I'm like, "I love you." Who influenced all this? Because like I was referencing David Letterman and Andy Kaufman, but I feel like those folks are before your time. But Andy Kaufman is literally a Long Island Jew who went to the synagogue down the street from my no. synagogue. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like we overlapped, but I mean, I've always loved Oh, yes, loved you did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's still out there, so. Exactly. I, I mean, obviously I love him, but I like, I don't, I was, I always loved stand-up. Like, I was obsessed with like Todd Berry in high yeah. school. It makes sense. And Todd's brilliant. He's brilliant. Were you, I, I would guess you'd like Kristen Schaal. Totally. I, uh, Maria Bamford. Yes, Maria Bamford's brilliant. And then I was like also doing a bunch of like visual art stuff like separately. And then when I started performing in the like Chicago DIY noise music performance art scene and I was seeing all these crazy performance artists using like, you know, blending all different types yes. of mediums. That's when I was like, oh, I can perform with my visual right. stuff. 
Um, and, and is that how they spotted you? It, like, did, like, did SNL spot you like doing your solo show in Chicago? No, they, they, I did JFL stand up last year, and they just saw me do stand up. No kidding, you did. Mm -hmm. So you did just for laughs in Montreal, which they, is like the biggest. It was the COVID version. Oh, no way. So it was- um, No way. Mm -hmm. You were saying you did it virtually? No, it was like just a show at the Dynasty Typewriter. <sighs> so I didn't have to go. I, I just literally- be, This is the weirdest story. It's- So you didn't even go to Montreal. You performed mm -hmm. at the Montreal Comedy Festival, except it was in Los Angeles, uh -huh. streamed to Montreal, sort of. Who What did they do? Who, right. Who knows? Yeah. And then you got SNL from that? Yeah. Your life is so crazy. It was awesome. I did, I literally drove 10 minutes from my house to do a stand-up show. Because I think when you when you get JFL, it feels like a really big deal because you go to Montreal and then you're there for a week and it's like all this stuff. Yeah. But then I just had to do like, it just felt like a normal stand-up show. Like go to the Dynasty typewriter like you always do and do ten, seven minutes of stand-up. Oh my gosh, it was low pressure. It was low pressure. Oh. They just got to see me do stand-up. Oh I didn't have to gosh. do any whatever crazy thing. Did you, I saw that you wrote on the Jackass movie, the new Jackass movie. It's generous. Oh, I, really? I went I went for I, I got hired for like one day to like do like And they put you on it, the screenwriting credits. Isn't that cool? That is cool. I guess I can technically say that I wrote for the Jackass movie. There's definitely like shared DNA with you in like the Jackass universe in mm -hmm. the sense that it's like there's something, even if you're doing a scripted bit on Weekend Update, there's something that's super real about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like super like provoking about it. And like, like what? Like the audience is sort of like, wait, what? It's like almost disorienting. And, and they do body horror, except I do like fake version, which right. is I like make my own practical effects and they just like literally hurt themselves. <laughs> do you, do you feel like, would you ever do something like that, like a jackass, like where you're the person? I, so this is like a humiliating story actually, but I was like, oh, I can do a jackass bit. <laughs> and then like was making this whole project where I like had made these like big paper mache boobs that when you punch them exploded blood because they were like these like blood water balloon thing. Yeah, I'm with you, I'm and with you. And then I had my friend. Hacky bit, everybody's seen it. I mean, it's classic, <laughs> who hasn't at this point? And then I had my friend, like we were testing it out and I had these, and I had my friend like punch me in the boob and like oh it hurt so bad and <laughs> I was so hurt and I just never did a jackass bit ever again. Oh, that's so funny. And it like ruptured a blood vessel inside of one of my boobs oh, and my, my nipple was gushing God. blood for like days. <laughs> this podcast is over. <laughs> I crowdsourced this at Twitter today. Questions for Sarah Sherman. Aaron Reed stuff asks, what's the hardest part of being an SNL newbie? It's a hard question. Do you feel nervous day one? A they they do a really good job of just throwing you into it, so yeah. you're not. So you don't think about it. It's so you're you're really busy and you're working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that by the time I was like on camera, I was so tired and like distracted. <laughs> yes, yes. Which I think like I think the lore of SNL is like it's so crazy, crazy schedule. Oh my god, you know you never sleep. Which is like true to some degree, but it literally helps you not be just you know, rocking back and forth in your dressing room being like, I'm about to be on live television in front of millions of people because you're working. Yeah, that's. I had the same thing when I guest hosted for Jimmy Kimmel a few weeks ago. It was oh, like, yeah. people were like, was that nerve wracking? I was like, well, no, it's like you're surrounded by like 40 mm -hmm. people who are doing their job at like the height of their game. And mm -hmm. so you just sort of hit your mark and you collaborate with the people in the different departments and then it happens. Totally. It does, it's like that famous Lauren Michaels line. It's like, it, it, we don't do it because we're ready. We do it because it's it's 1130. Oh my God. That's so true. That is, I never heard that. You've that never is heard weird. that? It, there's, that's like the most famous Lauren line, I think. I literally, I never know anything. Everyone's always like <laughs> telling me shit that I don't know about. <laughs> the I guess the hardest part is figuring out how to make something that feels true to yourself. Yes. Be, because that's the hardest part with anything. 
Like I think with stand up, it's like unlimited freedom. Yeah. To the point of like even at the cellar, they have everyone lock up their phone. It's like right. If you not like if I say something crazy that could get me in trouble, no one will tape it. It's more like there's no you can mess up and there's no evidence of it. And like I think that was that's my favorite part of stand up is like it's I mean I love live performance. Yeah. And so that's why I feel like literally blessed by God to be that I have a television job that's live performance. Yeah. Like that's the best part. Like I was struggling for a long time because with the changing internet landscape, like the only way for standups to like truly make money on the road is to like churn out internet content. Right. And I like truly could not do that because I am like a live performer. Like I can't like do a video and look at my own. I can't look at myself and like edit it or like, I couldn't put stand-up clips online. I just was it just totally, didn't fit with your personality and your skill set. It was like paralyzing to me for some reason. And I also think like I, you've seen my performance. It's like it is fe- like you feel like physically threatened, or, or it's like it's very live. You feel like you maybe feel physically something threatened. Well, yeah. For example, like you'll grab like people's drinks from the front row yeah. and be like, "Can I have a sip?" And it's very like invading people's space. Yeah, in a time of COVID, that's great. <laughs> yes, but it was like I was really struggling to figure out how to make that work. Like I've made a bunch. Like I've made like little movies. Yeah. But they're not my stand up. Yeah. So I was really struggling with that. And then like the fucking godsend blessing from heaven that now I'm like, it's a live show. It is like, yeah, it's live. It's the only thing that's like that. I mean, Mr. Kimmel and like all those late night shows, the same thing. But I'm like, damn, I lucked out. Like that's the best part of the show. It's live. On Twitter at its keys asks, What's the weirdest, grossest thing you couldn't get on the show? I had that. I had that thought too. I guess you probably couldn't get blood on, right? Like the stuff that you're describing as like gory. You from can. Your- I, I don't want to say it because I do still think I can make it happen. <laughs> you're holding a candle for it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I get it. And, and they let me make it. The grossest thing. <laughs> they let me make it. We brought. It was at dress rehearsal. So people have seen oh, it. Love this tease. And huge. This uh, is a scoop. It's a scoop. Yeah. And it's disgusting and there's a lot of blood and I was like I couldn't even believe like they are letting me try. Yeah. So they let me me and PDD wrote something disgusting. Mhm. Brought it to dress rehearsal. Yeah. The reason it bombed at dress rehearsal was because I was new and like didn't really know how to do the show yet. Yeah. And it it didn't get cut because it was disgusting. They they let me try. Yeah. But yeah, maybe they'll let me make it next year. It's funny. There's a lot of blood in we it. We have um we have Daily Beast online too. <laughs> this is someone on Twitter named A Keen Machine. Mm-hmm. Sarah, what inspires your iconic fashion choices? Right now you're wearing like a cannibal corpse shirt. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Just having fun. Having fun? Yeah. You enjoy it? I just have fun and I enjoy it. There you go. That's key to everything, right? Yeah. And it literally is like, you know, being a comedian, it's like there's no, you're like, like, there's no rules. It's the best thing ever. Yeah. I can literally, I never have to be an adult. I never have to grow up. I never have to wear a suit. I never have to do anything I don't want to do. These are all things Michael Jackson said, and then look what happened. Look what happened. Local. <laughs> I do a tabloid headline about him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I love that, though, because it's like, I think I feel like a lot of the artists who I admire most, it's they went with their gut mm-hmm. on something, mm-hmm. and then it ends up being, as Keen Machine is saying, iconic. <laughs> And then the truth is, like most of those people who you admire, is like, no, then they went with their guts. Mm-hmm. They don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you totally. don't really know what's amazing fashion. Like you're like, yeah, that's what I like. I literally grew up like watching the nanny. My <laughs> yes. favorite. Yes, part the sitcom of the whole from the show. '90s. Yeah. My favorite part of the whole show was like she would get crazy discount designer Moschino suits from <laughs> Filene's basement. <laughs> 
And I've just always looked like this. Fran Drescher, the nanny. <laughs> Mr. Sheffield. Mr. Sheffield. Oh, my gosh. Have you okay. done that on the show? No, but I there guess it's amazing. There you go. There it is. And this is what working it out is, everybody. Wow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, I guess I know what amazing impression is. Jadge, watch out. Oh, Mr. Sheffield. Mr. Sheffield. Helix Mattress is ground floor sponsor on Working It Out. Uh, I love the Helix Mattress. I think our whole staff of Working It Out loves the Helix Mattress. The, the Helix lineup includes 14 unique mattresses, including a collection of luxury models, a mattress for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made for kids. I have to say, I, I'm someone who, because of my sleep disorder, I think a lot about sleep. I think about how much sleep I'm getting. I think that having a great mattress is so darn important. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Get me those two free pillows, please, immediately. For our Working Out listeners, go to helixsleep.com slash burbigs. With Helix, better sleep starts now. No, now. No, now. Helixsleep.com. Slash Burbigs. All right, back to the show. This is called the slow round. Do you have a memory from childhood that you always think of on a loop? I'm in dream analysis, like yeah? therapy right now. Mm-hmm. Wow. And this image that I have that's been a so when you're like you know paying attention to your dreams and like doing like dream work or whatever you you like now i remember my dreams every night basically do you keep one journal by the bed mm-hmm. yeah and um the one that's been like ha- coming up a lot which you know who knows what this means but my i was fishing with my dad cuz i'm from long island and this image that i think about a lot is he's pulling up this fish we're fishing he's reeling in a fish Another fish jumps out of the water and bites the uh, the bites the fish in half that we're pulling out of the water, mm-hmm. and so then what we're left with on the dock is this like bloody head, but it's still alive and it's flopping around everywhere, and there's blood spraying everywhere. Wow! And my dad's like stabbing the fish over and over again to kill it, and it like wouldn't die for like thirty seconds, and it was just flopping around and spraying blood everywhere, and I think about it all the time. It's a tricky one to interpret, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like. I think the gore of it has mm-hmm. to do with your comedy, probably, mm-hmm. things in your comedy. Mm-hmm. I think it was the first time because I was a kid that I'd seen, like, actual, real, utter violence. You know oh, what so I mean? so you had it as a kid, that dream. This was I, – I saw it in real life as a kid. And so now it's the image that kind I see a lot – in my in my mind's eye, and it also has been appearing in dreams. Oh lately. my gosh! Mm-hmm. So that that's a real memory. It's a real memory. And my my analyst said, "This is me telling tales out of school. I hope he's not, you know, oh, don't want he him. or she or anybody, yeah, anyway. whoever it is." The exactly the um he says that if your dreams are like my are really violent and gory, it, it's because your unconscious is trying to get your attention. So my unconscious is using that image from childhood to be like, pay attention to me. Wow, I'm telling you stuff. I don't know what it is yet. Can you think of a time where you were scared and ran away? Like as a child or as a, an adult? Child or adult? Um, like. Maybe at this point a year and a half ago, me and my friends were making this video in the middle of the desert in Joshua Tree. Yeah. Sandy Honig and um, my friends Luke Taylor and Wyatt Fair. Shout out to you guys. Nice. We're making a movie in the middle of the desert in the middle of the pandemic because we were like, we have to shoot outside. Like it's COVID or whatever. Yeah. And a fucking crazy desert tweaker like started chasing us through the desert screaming. Yes. Wait, chasing you like with a weapon or like? Like his big pickup truck. Oh God. And it was, and then he like, you know, he was tweaking out. So he was like ripping all his clothes off. Oh no. Yeah. I literally like ran away. Hold on. Hold on. Let's unpack this. (laughs) You're shooting something. A guy comes Mm -hmm. by in a pickup truck. 
like gets out of his truck and like takes his clothes off. Yeah, and like terrorizes us for like seven to eight hours. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like because we were like shooting in the middle of the desert in the pitch black and to illuminate the scene we were shooting, oh. we turned on the headlights of my friend's car. Oh, wow. And I had set up this like, um, this little set in the middle of the desert with these rainbow sparkly curtains to look like Literally, I recreated the colors from Johnny Carson. Yeah. Like the curtains when I made them sparkly and stuff because I was doing like a, me and my friend Sandy were making like an ode to Rodney Dangerfield thing. Okay. And I was just like in the middle of the desert, literally doing 10 minutes of Rodney jokes. Yeah. And I think this man who was, you know, having a sort of a, he was tweaking on something. Oh my gosh. He saw this like glowing mirage in the middle of the desert and I think, thought it was maybe an apparition or something. Oh my and it drove him like insane. Did you ever see uh, Todd Glass do his impression of Rodney Dangerfield no. doing Mitch Hedberg jokes? No. This is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Shout out to Todd Glass. Do you want to hear my Todd Glass impression? Oh, yeah. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> so Todd, Todd Glass does Mitch Hedberg. <gasps> oh, no, sorry. Todd Glass does Rodney Dangerfield doing Mitch Hedberg jokes. He goes, I like rice when, you, when you're really hungry and you want a thousand of something. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get no respect at all. These staircases and escalator are broken. Oh, my gosh. Perfect. You're going to take his job as, oh Todd, as Todd Glass. Todd, Todd Glass's job as Todd Glass. He's literally the funniest person alive. I opened for Todd early in my career. And similar to the way that you inspired me when I watched you the other night, he inspired me because I was like, oh, he has no rules with his comedy at all. Like he'll literally like pick up someone's like chicken fingers in the front row and start eating them in the middle of the show if if he's bored with what's happening (gasps) Uh in the room. Like he's all about like what's happening in the room right now. Like let's make it happen. And he also like, what? like I feel like he was saying woke shit like before anyone. He's a very woke guy. I feel like like years ago he was doing shit where he was like, why am I, he had all those, that material that was like, why do all of my like friends who are like older, why are they saying all this like hateful shit on stage? Yeah, he's great. I don't know. I don't know if this will make sense to the people listening if they don't know Todd Glass, but it's like, he is like a great comic and he's super original and provocative. And he's original and provocative in a way that's like, he's never, I I think that, you know, you can be outrageous and provoking without, you can be outrageous and, you can be outrageous and provocative without like fucking hurting people's feelings, I think. Yeah. And I think he does a good job of that. Do you, uh, have you had bits where, People have come to you and said, like, this hurt my feelings. Um, I've gotten in trouble. Like, it, I've gotten in trouble in the past for, like, some, I've triggered people. Yeah. And, cause, you know, I, I'm showing, like, sometimes in my show, I'll have, like, a, a paper mache butthole that's, like, exploding hamburger helper me. And I'm showing that while I'm talking about, like, I want to fuck my dad, you know, whatever. Oh what, what, I think that whatever at the end saves you know, that. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like a whole thing, but like I'm not going to explain it here. And like people have come up to me and been like, you didn't do a trigger warning. Oh, interesting. And then my reaction at the time was to apologize. Yeah. But like thinking back on it now, I was like, well, the poster for the show at the time was – a uterus, something that I drew, which was like a uterus and the ovaries were eyeballs and then there was a severed finger in the vaginal canal. And so I'm like, that is kind of like, what did you expect I was going to do at this show? Right, it's going to be pretty explicit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's going to be an explicit comedy show. Yes. What's the best piece of advice anyone's ever given you that you used? Um, It's going to sound so lame. So my friend Dynasty Handbag... She's like legendary performance artist, comedian who lives in LA who hosts this monthly show called Weirdo Night. And it's like the best show in LA. It's truly what it sounds like. It's Weirdo Night. Yeah. Comedy, performance art, freak shit, whatever. 
she like saw me perform in LA once and like I was doing sometimes when I'm like not doing a sh- strip down stand up set um I'll have like a but like video sound multimedia whatever powerpoint comedian powerpoint comedy of course and she was like you don't need to work so hard she was like yeah. you are funny and yes. you i I can see you working really hard. Even like at the cellar, sometimes I, I'll feel like I'm like really like giving them the old razzle dazzle tap dance routine, yeah. like yeah. sweating on stage like a yeah. farm animal. And it's, I'm so afraid of them not having a good time. I'm so afraid of them not liking me. I'm so afraid of them not laughing Yeah, that I do feel like I work too hard. It's like I don't need to have these fucking always with the bells and whistles. I mean, I even said to you after your set, I was like, I wish I could just get up there and say a joke. Jesus. <laughs> I just I do a goal in life is I do want to just get on stage and feel confident enough to just I just say a joke. I don't have to do the whole fucking thing. But whatever you're doing <laughs> is wildly inspiring to me. I'm like loving every second <sighs> of it. It's crazy. You got to. When you were growing up, was there a group that wouldn't let you in? Yes. Well, <laughs> I mean, this is college, but yeah, college like, is fine. Not I, not getting on my like college improv team. I was like, oh no, kidding. Like true, at Northwestern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very competitive school. Yeah, sure. Like, it's... It, it's a hard school to get into. It means you're a nerd. Yes, I was a nerd. <laughs> and, like, truly, my whole life I wanted to be a comedian. Yeah. And I, like, went to school near Chicago. Cause right. Like, comedians Chicago, are from Chicago. Chicago, Mecca, et cetera, yep. And, like... The, you know, I was like, went to college being like, oh my God, it's gonna be fucking awesome. We're gonna do acid, smoke weed, and right. like, it's gonna be crazy. And I'm gonna be a comedian. Yep. Where do I sign up? Yeah. And then people were like, you're not funny enough. And I was like, <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> oh my God. Like, it was all, you know. Wait till you find out what my job's gonna be in 10 years. Hilarious. Wait till I bring you <gasps> down a fucking peg. I do think rejection is ultimately good for you and Couldn't, yeah that's that that's your advice right there yeah it probably did push you totally not getting an improv group that and then just like you know stand up is like constant rejection i always say that to people <laughs> whenever they're considering doing stand up i always say do it regardless of mm-hmm. whether you're going to end up being a stand up comedian mm-hmm. because it's just great. It's it's just great practice getting up in front of strangers talking, totally. Totally. mostly failing, and just being okay with people not liking you most of the time. Absolutely, <laughs> it's great training for everything. It's great training for being a parent. Oh yeah, yeah. If I'm like ever bombing in front of a kid, it's lights out for me. Yeah, I need kids' approval so badly. Yeah. Like, you know, when you're like, you, you know, like got little cousins or something, or like any of my friends who have kids and I'm like trying to entertain them, they're not laughing. I'm yeah. like, this is worse than oh, yeah. anything. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what is, what's the, what's the assumption people make about you sometimes that, that they get most wrong or like you feel misunderstood or? Um, I think a lot of times maybe with alternative comedy, I keep talking about comedy. I don't know if you're maybe no. asking real questions about me as a person. Either way, yeah, yeah. I think like with alternative alternative comedy, people are like, it's, you know, like weirdo stuff. Yeah. But it's like the whole thing about comedy is that you're you it's a way to like access people and identify with large groups of people. And yeah. If you're la- like you're trying to make people laugh, so you're yeah. trying to make people identify with you. Yeah. So, I don't. I think a lot of times people people think I'm like too weird or too alienating, but it's I'm like I, I'm. It's for everyone. Yeah. Comedy is for everyone, and I'm not that insane. Yeah. Well, you yeah you kill. I'm trying so hard. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
What nicknames have you had in your life? Well, Sarah Swarm was a nickname. Oh, it was. My friend Ethan Mermelstein in high school called me Squirm and Sherman because I was oh like my God. so <laughs> I just was. And so then I just like kind of adopt, and then people just called me Squirm my whole life after that. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And then I like moved to Chicago and I was like performing with all these like freaky musicians going by like piss, 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 moan, 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 and like blood liquor and oozing wound. So I was like, yeah, we Sarah Squirm when I perform, you know. I love that. So like, yeah. It, ever, it was like a good nickname. Do you ever think about having it? Like at the top of the credits of SNL, say Sarah Squirm instead of Sarah Sherman? It's kind of nice, like clocking into work as Sarah Sherman. And then I have this like night gig right. where I'm Sarah Squirm and it's different. Right. And it's like not what they've seen on TV. Right. It's your superhero identity. Yeah, it's my superhero. Or my, it's definitely my, my Joker identity or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Working It Out is brought to you in part by Noom. It's an app where I type in what I'm eating, what, how much I'm exercising. It gives me a lot of tips. A lot of it has to do with just sort of uh, creating a routine and tracking things in your life and kind of understanding yourself and your habits and being realistic. I mean, I, it's, uh, I, I talk a lot about it on the show, but sort of writing down everything in your life. And, and I think that uh, that, that can be true uh, for eating and, and exercise as well. It's a helpful, I mean, you might, you might end up getting some jokes out of it, you never know. Uh, it's, uh, every journey is different. Your daily lessons are personalized to you and your goals. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com slash for bigs, which is N-O-O-M dot com slash B-I-R-B-I-G-S to sign up for your trial today. Okay, I'm going to go to material. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, keep in mind, this is new material. Mm -hmm. This isn't done. It's half. A lot of these are half-baked ideas. Mm -hmm. And if it makes you think of anything, you can tell, tell your own story about the same thing. But I thought of Chicago things because mm -hmm. you started in mm -hmm. Chicago. I was at Steppenwolf with my show Old Man in the Pool last month, and so I wrote down a few notebook things. Mm -hmm. There was a place on my corner I did an Airbnb in Chicago, and it had an infrared sauna. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know what that means, but they said it was healing. So I walked into the sauna with the sauna attendant, and she said, don't be alarmed. You're not going to sweat on the outside like you usually do. <laughs> it was one of those moments where I knew I shouldn't ask follow-up questions because the answers were probably going to be wrong <laughs> and make me second-guess the whole thing being a scam, but I did it. I go, do you sweat on the inside? And she said, yes, you sweat on the inside. I'm talking to this woman, and I don't think she knows whether sweating on the inside really exists, and I don't know if sweating on the inside really exists. And we're standing there in this sauna together, confidently discussing the idea that soon... I will be sweating on the inside. 20 minutes later, I'm in the sauna. I can't describe it any other way. It felt like I was sweating on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's the great. whole bit. Literally, it's what I wrote down. Well, literally, the what struck me about what she said was like, you're not going to be sweating on the outside like you usually do. And I kind of interpret oh, that as like, funny. as you usually do, you <laughs> yes. fat, fat slob. Easy. Fucking pig. Easy. <laughs> That's very funny. But I immediately take it as a judgment on myself yeah. of how I sweat. Like you usually do. Jesus You don't Christ. know me. Fucking. You think you know me? You think I'm a pig in heat? Jesus <laughs> Christ. So I wrote that down and then I wrote down this because this at this infrared sauna place, they also had, by the way, have you ever even heard of infrared sauna? I no. literally didn't know what it was. It sounds like it will give you cancer. Yeah. And by the way, like. A, probably gives you cancer. <laughs> Don't <laughs> say that one. I'm not going to say the name of the place. Um, but also, like, who? why am I trusting this place? I've never even heard of infrared sauna. Why am I even doing this? 
were, I mean, that's lit. That's so classic. I'm in town doing my show and being like, I guess I'll go to the place in Ohio that has hot dogs where they put Fruit Loops on the hot dog. <laughs> yes. I'm here. I'll do I've the got local a, thing. Yeah. <laughs> so then they also had did do f- like float. Sensory. I would, oh, did you do that? No, but it, you, you, I was literally wondering if I heard infrared sauna and it made me think about these float tanks. Yeah, so what, I did it. I did uh, it. And? Well, I have a story. <laughs> I am genuinely curious too. Okay. I'm at the infrared sauna place. They have the this floating sensory deprivation tank, which is like salt water in a little kind of like coffin. I don't know what it's called. And, and the woman walks me in. It's like literally the size of a coffin. Mm-hmm. And she goes, I go, what do I do in there? Like, I literally don't know what it is. I'm like, I'll do the float thing. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. She's like, you lie down. It's salt water. It holds you up. You're in, you can adjust the lighting and the sound. Like mm-hmm. it's music mm-hmm. so that it can be pure darkness. That's the sensory deprivation part of it. And, and she goes, uh, and you can just fall asleep even. And I and I go, but wouldn't that mean? And she cuts me off that you'll drown. <laughs> no, the salt water, and I quote, the salt water won't let you flip over. It's like the Dead Sea. And I'm thinking, why do you think they call it the Dead Sea? People die. And I looked it up. <laughs> That's actually not why they call it that. Jokes on me. The point is, I'm in this tank. True story. Uh-huh. The button for music, button for for light. I get overconfident. I'm like, I'm going to go full darkness. 10 minutes later, I'm in a full panic. Can't find the light. Can't find the music. Can't find the door. The sensory deprivation is working. And I started to freak out. I'm like, okay, I can't drown. She said, I can't drown. That's good. Keep pushing this wall, thinking it's the door. It's like, what? Like three times, four times. I'm like pushing a wall in darkness. And then I think to myself, why don't I push the opposite wall? So I pushed the opposite wall and it was the door that got me out, which is a great lesson in life. Never go into a sensory deprivation chamber. <laughs> I, is it bad that that whole story made me want to go to that more than anything? Because I have been thinking about wanting to go. It's kind of awesome. I'm going to go back. There's this, uh, oh my God, what is it? Ken Russell? Oh my God, am I Ken Russell? You tell me. You keep saying this is the question mark. Ken Russell has an amazing movie, Altered States, and it's about a guy who gets addicted to going into these sensory deprivation tanks and he goes, it basically um, breaks time and space and he goes insane and there's like all, it tears a hole in like every dimension of the universe. Oh, wow. And it's uh, it's a scary movie. Nothing has ever made me want to do anything more than seeing someone go insane in a sensory deprivation tank. Do you have any bits you're working on or half-baked things? It's not a bit yet. Okay. But I like literally um, wanted to really badly get on stage. Uh, it's so boring, but I did want – I wanted to do like an airplane joke. Okay. Where, because I was on a, um, I went to Chicago last week and on the one trip to Chicago, the plane made two emergency landings. (laughs) What? And one, they were like, hey. No, on the same flight? They were literally like, hey, what's up? Um, Like the plane's broken. We're going to land in um, Cincinnati. And I was like, totally 100%. And then we landed in Cincinnati. We changed the planes. We got, we were back in the air. My my show was at 8 p.m. And they were like, we were back in the air and they were like, okay, hey, what's up? There's a tornado. <laughs> we have to emergency land in Detroit. Okay. And everyone on the plane is like freaking out. Like, are we going to be okay? And I'm like Googling like how far, like how right. long is the drive from Detroit to, to Chicago? Gig. Yeah, I know, yeah. yeah. And then we made an emergency landing in Detroit and the pilot got off the plane and was like, in my 33 years of flying, this has never happened one time. Oh my gosh. And then I was thinking of a bit that was like a really prolonged, like all my bits, really prolonged, (laughs) absurd, like, like what's the worst thing that could happen? Like you're on a plane, like people are afraid of flying. It's like, what's the worst thing that can happen? 
Like you fucking, you're in the air, you hit horrible weather, the plane splits in half, you watch every single person around you scream bloody murder, call their family members and die and explode in painful deaths. Like what are you, fucking pussy? Oh <laughs> Something oh like that. Gosh. I love that. Something like that. You're like diving headlong into like, everyone's deepest fears. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. What okay. are you afraid of? Blah, 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 blah. So what you die, get over it. Yeah. Something like that. I don't know what the bit is yet though. Yeah. Like grow the, up. What's the worst thing? Yeah. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? You land in the water. Everybody tries to deplane. <laughs> you're all drowning because it's like seven feet below the left sea level. <laughs> and so like you're almost going to live, but then you don't live. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah. What's the worst thing that can happen? You hear the woman next to you crying bloody murder on the phone <laughs> to her, like her only child. Like get over it. <laughs> I mean, what's the worst thing in heaven? It's like everyone's on fire. You're looking at human beings <laughs> who are complete strangers, completely on fire. And it's kind of like that cliche, like liar, liar, pants on fire, except <laughs> it's their whole body on fire and then you die. I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen? What's the worst thing that could happen? 9-11-2? Get over oh it. God. <laughs> 9-11-2? Okay. And we're not releasing this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not releasing this because um, the Bush family is going to take it down. Oh, my God. Mm, oh, look out. Um, I actually have an airline joke, too. First of all, I think that joke is great. It's not bad. I what's to, the worst thing that can happen is so funny, and then you say the things. It's funny to me. Because everyone is a, afraid of flying. I think, like, the joke has to be, like, everyone, like, w- why are we— Flying, this is defying God, by the way. Right. <laughs> and it's like everybody's afraid of it, obviously. It's like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Uh, one of the windows of the plane smashes open, and uh, we see the person next to us, their body suck through the window <laughs> and break into pieces. What's the worst thing that could happen? And what's the worst thing that ha- could happen? You're sitting there knowing that your fate is soon to be what just befell before you. <laughs> and you're about to be a, you're about to, um, your body is about to become a splat. <laughs> oh God. A splat. I wrote it. I. You're saying you're like relating to airline joke. I had an airline joke from Chicago too because I was flying Southwest Airlines. Mm-hmm. Because, Classic. Yeah, that midway flight to Chicago is really solid from the Laguardia. airline of the people. I appreciate the simplicity of Southwest Airlines, but if I'm being entirely honest, whenever I walk to the gate, there's some part of me that thinks. The entrance of the plane is going to be a tube attached to a bus. <laughs> and the thing about us Southwest Airlines customers is we're not picky. We're all going to be good with it. We're going to be like, I guess now we take the bus. This is what we deserve. <laughs> I like Southwest because if there aren't a lot of passengers, I think you fly the plane and you can have a barbecue or something like that. I'm not sure exactly what the rule is. <laughs> I think Southwest Airlines slogan should be, we have some airplane. <laughs> we have some airplanes. You figure out the rest. It's, it's so, there's so much freedom. It's more American than American Airlines. It's so stupid. Well, I would even say it's like not, it's, a, it's not American. It's a socialist utopia. Oh, that's interesting. Yes, because it's general admission. It's general admission. It's yeah. a classless society. It is classless, yeah. And it's and classless. And classless. <laughs> and it's a living, breathing example of maybe um, Marx's, Mark. Karl Marx's ideal society uh, breaking down into utter chaos. Bernie Sanders Airlines. <laughs> Bernie Sanders Airlines. <laughs> it's uh, it's not just for the 1%. Actually, they won't go near it. <laughs> yes, it's true. I, lo- I, enjoy, I enjoy a nice Southwest Airlines. Oh, two free bags? Are you yes. kidding me? It's amazing. Yes. I love Southwest. You fly into Midway. Yeah. You get a pastrami sandwich from... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Immediately, it's about food. <laughs> What's about Manny's? Oh, yeah, Manny's. Manny's Deli inside Midway. Yeah, that's the yeah. It's immediately about food. <laughs> there, there's no way they feed you on Southwest. No, no, and also I'm just not there yet. <laughs> I'm not there yet on food. I'm really not. Just any food in general. No, no, I'm just not there yet on food on airplanes. I'm just like you know, I'm gonna go mask. I, I respect the no I mask, see. but I'm going to mask. Wow. I see where you're coming from, but also there's like 200 of us. 
Why not wear a mask? So you're not even drinking water on the plane. No, I actually don't. <gasps> I think I would on a six-hour flight. Wow. Yeah. I don't think if somebody walks by me with chips, there's literally nothing anyone could do to stop me from eating chips. What's the worst thing that can happen? <laughs> a thousand potato chips smack you in, in your face and your skin breaks into pieces until you die. What's, what's the, the worst thing that could happen? What's the worst thing that could happen just when you put a chip in your mouth? You hit turbulence that the chip goes vertical in your throat and oh does that gosh. thing. What's that thing? You get like a vertical chip in your throat where it's like goes oh completely. <laughs> I don't know if there's a term for that, but it's awful. It's a horrible image. You all know what I'm talking about when this when the chip goes wrong in there. Oh, of course. I I mean, I, I've, I've imagined it. I don't know if there's a term for it. That's when the chip goes crazy. What's the worst thing that can happen? You go fishing with your dad. You catch a fish. <laughs> when the fish goes up, another fish eats that fish and scene. God, it's an amazing... Maybe I got... Something's got to happen with that. Yeah, it's that, phenomenal. It's a beautiful I image. Phenomenal. I think you could merge it with the... What's, what's the worst that can happen, Bet? What's the worst that could happen? You tell that story earlier in the show, and you you bring it back with the what's worst thing that could happen bit. I like never like tell like true stories on stage, really. I know, but you sort of do because like because you think about your dad like in New York, it's yeah. like from a grain of truth, yeah. so you sort of do. I I think that that fish image is phenomenal for a joke, and I think what's the worst thing that I'm gonna tie in that we're gonna no, leave that for another right, day because I'm I'm literally I haven't written a new joke. I need this. I think I think it's all I think it's all in there. I think you should start from some of the some of the memories. Even the desert story is great, and you could just embellish from what happened. Like the fact that like this tweaker came at you, like that's a great start, mm -hmm. like a phenomenal start to I didn't a joke. Even tell you the half of that. Oh really? Story. Oh my god! Okay. What a nightmare. The final thing we do on the show is uh, we do working out for a cause, and we give we donate to an organization you think is doing a good job, and then we'll link to them in the show notes and encourage people to do the same. Food Bank NYC, give people food. Yes. End of story. End of story. Period. I give to I've been given to food <laughs> banks for so many years. Uh, I try in every town I tour in to mm -hmm. give to the food bank locally because I think of myself as like a part time resident of that place even if you're there like a little bit at the time. Food banks, if people are listening, donate to your local food bank. They stretch a dollar farther than you can possibly imagine. You can't believe it. That's good, donating in every city that you're in. Yeah. You do have an impact on the city you're that you're in. You're part of the city. Yes. You're part for, of the, for a period of time, you're part of the city. You're part of the economy for a period of time. Yeah. You took a plane there, which means you've brought all those fossil fuels in there. Yeah. Your carbon footprint is huge because you're driving around going every float tank in the city yeah. while you're there. What's the worst thing that happened? You have $10 less than you <laughs> used to have? What's the worst thing that could happen? The second you um, click donate on your phone, you get hit by a plane in 9-11 too. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I didn't, That'll help. Just to be clear, I didn't laugh at that. Yeah, that was the, like a, a ghost came in and laughed. There was a ghost. Yeah, moments ago, a ghost came in, laughed at that left and i'm here just to say shame on you sarah sherman that's every time my boyfriend farts in the yeah i've got a boyfriend whatever everyone relax todd glass everyone relax every time my boyfriend farts in the apartment he was like oh my god like someone just like broken and farted oh my gosh <laughs> wait that was so crazy someone just like literally broken and farted <laughs> sarah sherman sarah squirm I'm in awe of you. Oh I my God. Continue to be a huge fan. Thank you for coming on Working It Out. Working it out, cause it's not done. Working it out, cause there's no. That's gonna do it for another episode of Working It Out. Uh, Sarah Sherman, AKA Sarah Squirm, as she goes by on stage. You can follow her on at Sarah Squirm on Instagram. You can watch her on SNL. You can see her on tour which, again, couldn't recommend more highly. Our producers of Working Out are myself, along with Peter Salamone and Joseph Berbiglia, consulting producer Seth Barish, sound mix by Ben Cruz, supervising engineer Kate Polinsky, sound and video recording by Chuck Staten with help from Gary Simons, associate producer Mabel Lewis, special thanks to my consigliere Mike Berkowitz, as well as Marissa Hurwitz and Josh Upfall. As always, a very special thanks to Jack Antonoff and Bleachers for their music. And of course, a very special thanks to my wife, the poet Jay Hope Stein, 
Her book, which is called Little Astronaut, comes out in September. Very special thanks to our daughter, Una, who helped create the original radio fort made of pillows. Thanks most of all to you who are listening. Tell your friends, tell your enemies. Uh, thanks, for, And by the way, thanks for telling your friends. Uh, I noticed a bunch of you did some Apple podcast reviews, which I so appreciate. A lot of you listening found us through the Jimmy Fallon episode, and that's been really cool. There was a, a clip of that on TikTok that was seen by literally millions of people, which was outrageously cool. Um, we've had a lot of great guests this summer. We got more coming up this fall. We appreciate you telling people you'll like it. Tell your friends, tell your enemies. We're working it out. We'll see you next time, everybody. <laughs>